Can be seated. Right, if you would take a Bible and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We continue our sermon series, um, Jesus' Parables, and we've been traveling through the Gospel of Luke. We will eventually get to some parables that are in other uh, books of the Bible, um, but we've been walking through parables in Luke. We're on page 743 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. This is what Luke records, Luke 19, beginning in verse 11. While they were listening to this, Jesus went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have for himself appointed king and then to return. So he called the ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, if, if you're like me, um, the events of the past week uh, have, have caused you to think a lot about your own life. Um, and kind of caused you to think about the state of the world and, and what it is and who it is that God calls us to be in the world. And as I've thought about um, news reports coming from, from difficult and hard places in the world, a, a few things have, have surfaced for me as I've evaluated my own life um, in light of those things. And, and one is um, that I live in a place of relative ease and prosperity. And I really did nothing to, uh, to earn that or make that come about. Um, I don't know why I was born where I was born. I don't know why in God's providence I was um, born in a place that, that is a relatively easy place for me to live. But I thought about that and I, and I wrestled with that. And even I wrestled with that of, about people across our city who were born in difficult situations and hard things. And then I also thought about the fact that, that really I benefit from the sacrifices of other people who have 
worked and who continue to work and labor to make things possible that, that really, I was so convicted by this, I, I told one of my children, we were riding in the car, and I said, I'm basically a moocher. <laughs> I basically just get to enjoy the sacrifices that others have made for me. I've never been deployed. At my advanced age, I probably will never be called up, I guess. I don't know if I could pass the PT test or not. But I've never, never like left my family for months on end. As I was thinking about those people getting uh, on aircraft carriers and going to different parts of the world, never done that. I've never even served in local government. Right? I never rolled my sleeves up and got involved in trying to help and change and make things better in places where perhaps I could. And so I was convicted by this, this idea that, that really I get to benefit, and I didn't ask for it, and I haven't done a whole lot to preserve it. And when that happens, um, there's a way to take for granted things that I ought to value more. There's a way that, that oftentimes I just ride around in my own little world, obsessed about my own little things that I'm concerned about, without little regard or thought to those who who are in much harder places, who are laboring under more difficult things. Even as we sing that, that last song, it's a hard song to sing, isn't it? It's easy to sing when those are some of those things are maybe not as much of a reality for me. Is it? But I can't help but think about people around the world who that's a real, those are real temptations for them. And I read this parable of Jesus, and I think Jesus... In a way, he's, he's helping us wake up to the reality of the value of the things that we've been given in the gospel. And asking us to do the hard work in our hearts to say, do I value these things um, rightly? And, and am I doing what God's called me to do, to be a good steward of what he's entrusted to me in these days so that I might be uh, one of those faithful servants who turns some kind of profit on what God's entrusted to them? Or will I be kind of like the other servant for any number of reasons who just kind of squanders the valuable things that God's entrusted to me? And Jesus tells this parable, Luke says, for, for two reasons. Um, one, he's nearing Jerusalem. So in the Gospels, nearing Jerusalem is code word for what? He's about to die. The closer he gets to Jerusalem at the end of the Gospels, that phrase, he's nearing Jerusalem, means he's nearing the cross. Um, and also he told this parable because some people thought that the kingdom of God was about to come to fulfillment here on earth, like in their days. And so Jesus is preparing them for this in-between time. He's trying to help them understand that, that yes, through his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God in some measure is coming to the earth. But he's going to leave, and there's going to be this interim time that you and I live in, this time between his resurrection and his exaltation into heaven and his eventual return. And in that time frame, he's trying to help his followers, and I think he's trying to help us understand that, that what we've been given to do and the time that he's given us on earth is important, and how we steward what he's entrusted to us matters. And so he says that there was a nobleman, there was a, we can only assume, wealthy nobleman, who had servants. And to each of the servants he gave a mina, which is about three months' wages, which for me, 
uh, it's enough that I would pay attention to. He's got three months wages and he's like, get busy, invest this, and I'll be back. Some translations say, put this money to work. And there's a way in which you and I can kind of recoil against thinking about the church as a business, right? That the church is not here just to turn a profit. The church is not here to worry about the bottom line, but that we have this mission that God's given us to do. But there's another way in which I think thinking about the church as a business that's helpful, and if we think about it as that God's entrusted to us these resources, and then there is this sense that, that you and I are not meant to just sit around with them, we're not meant to just use them for ourselves, but that, but that very much like a venture capitalist invests in a new business, we're meant to go out and do something with it. We're meant to go out and leverage it for the kingdom of God with this idea that one day there's this reckoning that happens. Like, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And so he says, the, the nobleman went away and he challenged the servants to get busy doing the work, engage in business, put the resources to work until he comes back. And as I thought about this parable this week, it, it occurred to me that, that you and I, if we're not careful, you and I fail to see the value of what God has entrusted to us in the gospel. That in a place that's fairly peaceful, in a place that's fairly prosperous, where you and I really don't have to sacrifice that often for what God's entrusted to us, that, that you and I have lots of things competing and vying for our heart and our attention. And over time, you and I have a hard time holding on to that value since that we say, the Lord's entrusted us with this. What are we going to do with it? How are we going to make the most of it for his kingdom? Because it would be tragic if we wasted it. It would be tragic. And if you think about where you and I find ourselves, not just geographically where we're located, but even in time where you and I find ourselves, that, that God has graciously given us so much. Think about the gospel message itself. That you and I are people who have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. That we couldn't work our way up to him to earn our salvation. That there's no life apart from faith in him. And he showed his love for us. Not by just saying, I love y'all. But by coming into the world and taking on flesh. Becoming like us in every respect. Yet without sin. Going even so far as to humble himself to the point of obedient death on a cross. And you and I, like, we have that message. And imagine if we didn't have that message. Where would you be today? And what would you be doing? Right? You wouldn't be in a church, probably. I don't know where you would be or what you would be doing. And we would kind of be groping around in the darkness, doing the best that we could to put things together to kind of make it through this life eventually getting to the end of our lives with no sense of certainty or hope past what the grave held for us. But that's not our case. That God's graciously spoken to us 
through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's given us this message that there is hope beyond the grave. That you and I, through faith in what Jesus did for us, we can have abundant life now, and we can have eternal life forever in God's presence. Is that a valuable message or, or no? I mean, this is children's sermon easy, friends, right? Like, that's a valuable message. And he's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit who lives in us and guides us through life. And he's given us the gift of church. Like, look around the, the room this morning. Like, this is a gift. I can just tell you from people that I know their situation and people that I visit with in my vocation that there are people who would love to be in this room this morning. Who would love to walk in and like shake someone's hand, sing songs, even if it was beside me, terribly out of key. <laughs> and to just have the gift of community and faith and people walking alongside them. But it's easy for us, the farther we get away from the founding of the church, the farther we get away from the reality of these truths that you and I have a sense and have a tendency to not value it like we did. And it's always been the case for God's people. When you read the Bible, one of the good things that um, the Bible does for me is that it, it reminds me that whatever struggles that you and I face now, they're not unique. They've been faced by God's people all throughout history. And, and usually God's people don't deal that well with peace and prosperity and ease. As God was preparing his people to go into the promised land, do you remember what he said? He's like, hey, you've been out here in the wilderness. Life's been hard. I've been sustaining you with just a little bit, enough to get by, but graciously. And when you get into the promised land, hold your hats. You're going to have houses to live in. You're going to have gardens out there. Like You're going to have everything that you need. And when you get in there, there is this warning to be careful. Because there's this idea that you and I lean into that, that we did this. We earned this. We produced this. And the more that you lean into that, the less you have this sense of God graciously doing something for you that you could never have done for yourself. And that story of forgetfulness and that story of straying from the wonder of the good news of God's grace and mercy to us in Jesus Christ and our dependence upon him carries over into the New Testament. One of my favorite books in the Bible, the book of Acts, is the story of the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit descends and they go out and they're witnesses, but pretty soon they stray from that message. And they start to look inward and focus on themselves and lose sense of dependence upon God. The New Testament letters, most of them exist for this purpose, right? To call them back to the truth of what they know, to call them back to faithful living. And so every season of God's people, because you and I are fallen <laughs> and because we're sinful, you and I have this temptation and it's our particular temptation in our setting, in our time, not so much that persecution likely is going to push us away from faithful obedience, but probably the case for us is that 
lots and pleasure and ease of life will cause us not to value the gospel as we should. And just like I didn't do very much to uh, found the country I live in or to work for its peace and prosperity, in some ways I think about the history of Mount Brook Baptist Church, and I've done very, very little in comparison to make sure that it's going forward. And sometimes I don't value the church like I should. But you think about these kids who were up here singing in front of us and the kids who came up for the children's sermon. I wish that you all could get my perspective for the children's sermon. Both for, you know, I see a lot happening up here. But I also see your faces because you're all like this. Wanting to see them up here. But, but these kids and the kids they represent are more than just cute kids that we get in the building and feed juice and crackers, aren't they? Like they're more than that. That, that they're our children. And even if you don't share blood with any of them, guess what? By virtue of the fact that you're in this church, they belong to you. We do it every time we do a parent-child dedication. You know this. We get them up here and we're like, hey, we're going to walk alongside you and help these kids come to know Jesus. And then there's the hard part of actually living through on that commitment, right? That we're not just here entertaining them, but we're trying to help them know their creator, their redeemer, the one who will sustain them. We're trying to equip them to go out and live in the world and be witnesses of Jesus Christ in a world that's not always easy to do that. And at some point, we got to sit around and ask ourselves a question of like, does that matter? Does that ministry matter? Not just giving our finances to support it, but like showing up and walking alongside those kids and helping them. Um, every Sunday, 52 weeks out of the year, barring something that I can't conceive of currently in this moment, we will gather for worship. And church comes every seven days. <laughs> Even now I'm thinking about next Sunday, right? And the things that happen in here don't just happen automatically. We are currently streaming this service, I think. We're, we're, we're supposed to. We're trying to. And is that, is the streaming the service just something that we do, we just go through the motions and we do it just because or does it matter? I mean, we should ask ourselves that question, should we not? And if you're at the lake or the beach and you get to stream, okay. You're, you're not top of my list of people that I care about streaming to. But the people who can't leave their house anymore, those people I care about. The people who maybe are facing a terminal illness and they'll never gather for worship again like this. Does it matter that we share with them? worship and that we share with them the message of the good news of Christ, that we remind them that nothing in this world, not even death, will separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Does that, does that matter or not? Does it matter that you can hear me right now? If you were of my house, you would say, no, we hear enough of you, right? Right? <laughs> Does it matter that you can hear me and like every week somebody sits up there where Ed's sitting right now and like turns some dials and makes it, makes it work? 
And we need, we need people to, like, care about that enough that they give to support it. But also, we need people to care about that enough that they get up there and turn some dials. Right? And everything that we do, if we're not careful, we're just going through the motions of church. And we're just showing up and sitting in the sanctuary and hearing a sermon. And maybe you leave and you're like, well, that was a good sermon or that was a terrible sermon. Or I couldn't hear him, right? Or you walk through the halls and you kind of see people in the Sunday school class. But if you, if you see church as this mission that God's given us to proclaim the gospel, if you see things like teaching Sunday school, any of you teach Sunday school today? Anybody? There's a couple of you. You don't have to be ashamed of that, Fallon. You just, you know, right? There's people who taught Sunday school. Is that just going through the motions, getting through a lesson? Like most of our Sunday school teachers that I know, like that's a sense of calling for them. They're studying that lesson. They're going to get up. They're going to engage with those people as faithfully as they can to help them know the Lord and give them hope and direction. I was talking to one of our Sunday school teachers recently, and he was like, man, your job's easy. I was like, what do you mean? You talk for about 20 minutes. Nobody can ask you questions. He's like, I got these people for 45 minutes. They ask questions, right? But that's a ministry that, that, that matters. We're going to do trunk or treat. Does trunk or treat matter? Like, if it's just us entertaining ourselves, then I would say no. But if, but if trunk or treat is an opportunity for us to be sensitive to God's spirit and to connect with people maybe that haven't connected with the Lord before or, or that's like an entry point for them to enter into something much deeper, then I think it matters. And we can go on and on. Vacation Bible school, does it matter? It's just like free child care for a week. <laughs> you know, are we doing something significant there? Is this something that's been entrusted to us to then take and share that good news of Christ with other people. And, and, and for me, it matters. And as we're thinking about this capital campaign and this building project, if we're just doing a, if we're just doing a building to do a building, if we're just making some pretty hallways and walls, if we're just kind of, I don't know, Straightening out that one part of the church that's driven you crazy since you came here. Then ultimately it won't really matter. Right? But if you and I are a group of people who are increasingly growing in our understanding and our appreciation of all that God's done for us in Jesus Christ. And that changes our heart and our mind and we start to value it and him more than just the passing things of this life, then, then you and I can experience church in a way that's different from just going through the motions. On October 29th, Bo Adams is coming to talk to us about the Bible. Isn't it crazy that you have a Bible in your language that you can read anytime that you want? Imagine that. And as we celebrate the value of God's Word coming to us, it ought to be one of those things that we think, gosh, how do we share this with more people?
So I'm inviting you to be prayerful during this season about, about what you value. Um, do you value the Lord enough? And just be honest with yourself. There's such freedom in being honest with like where you are. Because <laughs> here's the thing, God already knows, right, where you are. And asking God to help us value the right things appropriately and then to take what he's entrusted to us and to get busy and do business. Like leverage it for God's kingdom. And it might be your finances, it might be your time, it might be your talents. But asking God to be gracious enough to help us see that everything that we yield to his plans and purposes in this life it matters ultimately, and I'm going to just close with the fact that, that there is no more joyful life that you can live than this. There's not. Whatever you give up in pursuit of serving God and his people and his kingdom, you will gain vastly more than anything you give up. So be prayerful that God makes us um, more and more into those kind of people. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for the gift of this day, and we would acknowledge that there's so much that we enjoy, that those who have gone before us made hard sacrifices for us to be able to experience. We would confess to you that sometimes we are ungrateful, that sometimes we don't value it the way we should, and so we pray that you would help us as your people, above all, to value the salvation that you've given us through faith in Christ, and that you would help us to be faithful stewards during this time, that your kingdom may come more fully in our hearts, in our church, in our community, and even to the ends of the earth. 